Fact or fiction, truth or fairy tale, we all have a story to tell. Welcome to Storyteller Station, dedicated to sharing stories for all who love to hear them and encouraging others to tell their stories with the belief in the power of story to change a person and ultimately change the world. I'm Sarah Fenland Falk, independent author, boy mom, entrepreneur, and your host on the Storyteller Station podcast. Hello, friends. I'm so excited. I have a great start of an interview for you today. This interview with Jonathan Rand was an hour long, so I broke it into two segments. You'll hear the first half of it today, and you'll hear the rest of his story next Monday. I hope you enjoy it. Jonathan Rand and I go way back. He is a very inspiring and creative person. It's just amazing the things that he's done and basically the (laughs) quote-unquote empire he's built, um, just the life he's built for himself around his writing is really fascinating. So I hope that you find it interesting too as he talks about his career path and all that he's involved in today. And we we do a really good job of kind of diving deep. So you'll you'll get to know him over the course of this week and next. And if you want to find him, you can find his website in the show notes. But also, I'll just tell you, chillermania.com is where you can find him and find out more about the author. Okay, so without further ado... Here's Jonathan Rand and I having a nice conversation at Chiller Mania in Indian River, Michigan. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Storyteller Station. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope that whenever and wherever you are listening to this, that it is a beautiful day in your neighborhood. I am in Indian River, Michigan, and y'all, I am with someone super special, and so you're going to get to meet him in a moment. I am seated inside Chiller Mania. It is the amazing creation of Jonathan Rand, also known as Christopher Knight, but I first met him as Chris Wright. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Yeah, it was. Chris Wright. Chris Way Wright, back yeah. when. <laughs> many, many years ago. Gosh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, in fact, I don't even, it's funny when people say they, they address me by Chris Wright, I'm like, I turn my head because it's like I've, I haven't heard that for so long and, and it's like, oh, that must be somebody that I, I know from a long time ago. Right. Yeah. I know that name. Yeah. Where do I know that name? <laughs> well, thanks so much for agreeing to meet with me and chat yeah, with me. Bet. This is awesome. So I don't even know where to begin because there is just so much to what you do and what you have done in your lifetime. But I think for um, just the purpose of, you know, picking a spot, yeah. let's, yeah. Um, could you share a little bit about 
your journey into storytelling. And you could, it, mm -hmm. I know that, you know, we kind of approach storytelling in many different ways. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be when you started writing books. It could sure. be any type of storytelling. Because I know you're very creative and have been in the creative world for a long time. Yeah. So wherever you would like to start. Okay. Well, you know, I would, I would have to go back. I would say that my fascination with stories began with, uh, you know, early on with my, my parents, um, you know, reading stories to me, the earliest stories that I could remember, you know, the back to the Clifford, the big red dog mm -hmm. uh, days and things of that sort. And for me, um, that that really developed into my a love of my own reading because I loved the, I loved the stories I loved the whole element of the stories and and I would think about these throughout the day, um, and I couldn't wait for my my mom or my dad to read a story you know the next night whatever it would be, and then when I learned how to read on my own there was something about that that just really turned it was to me it was just this whole world just it, it opened up now there were two points where this really happened in my life the earliest point was when i began to read and i went wow this, these words mean something they create these you know i can i can i can see these stories in my head um and i i was infatuated with reading and i was trying to read everything at, at such an early age and i would i would sit down and i would um come home from school and I'd sit in my dad's chair and I'd pick up whatever book he had and I couldn't read it I mean I didn't know what it was mm -hmm. but I just flipped through the pages and I would in my mind or I would read out loud I'd memorize like Clifford the big red dog yeah. you know and <laughs> and so this is what you know it could be you know this the you know um, the Andromeda strain by Michael Crichton and I'm sitting here flipping through the pages you know, <laughs> pretending that I was reading but in in retrospect that to me tells me at, at, at how how fascinated I was with the, the story process, and then of course you begin to realize that you know you can make your own stories. And I loved Beverly Cleary and the whole Henry Huggins series, so mm -hmm. I started writing stories in first grade that were um, like that uh, a pastiche, you know, uh, like like essentially copying fan fiction. Almost. Exactly, it was <laughs> it was, and I had a story called Henry the Coin Collector, which was a complete knockoff of you know the Henry <laughs> Huggins thing, and it was a page and a half or two pages long, and you know, stapled it together with construction paper, and um, so that that really became um, an early catalyst for for storytelling, or just at least some kind of this interactive dance with the story. And things really ratcheted up a notch between my fourth and fifth grade years. Um, we moved to uh, from Pontiac, which is in the suburbs of Pontiac, Waterford Township. We moved to Grayling, which was way back. And we had, I mean, in the middle of nowhere, which for, for me, a kid that was infatuated with the woods and forest and hunting and fishing was just the most idyllic. I mean, mm. to be able to do this and just have all this woods, at, you know, and there were no neighbors. I had no real neighbors, no kids my age. Um, and I found a book called My Side of the Mountain by Gene George. And that book uh, was about a boy by the name of Sam Gribley and his idea, his, the whole concept of his story was he wanted, to, he wanted to run away to his grandfather's farm in the Catskill Mountains and live there in the woods. And he was a teenage boy. And I was like, I was, I'm a, I was, what, 10 years old at the time. And this book just fascinated me endlessly. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I mean, I am Sam Gribley. So I would take this <laughs> pocketbook with me and I'd go hike in the woods or I would fish and I'd put it in my fishing vest and I would wade through the Osable River and fly fish. And if I wasn't catching any food or fish, I would just sit back on the bank and I would, you know, read this book. And I don't know, I have no idea how many times I read that um, 
throughout the summer, but it just became uh, that one. At that particular time in my life, I realized that storytelling isn't just reading something on, on paper. It was a magical transferal to a different time, a different place, a different, mm -hmm. you know, you could become somebody different. And that was the first time in my life when I realized it, not realizing how important that it would be later on. Um, I started going to college after I graduated. I started going to college for um, natural resources technology. Um, and I always tell people, like, boy, what a week that was, you know, because uh, that didn't, I, I floundered. I, didn't quite pan out. Yeah, I kind of released myself on my own reconnaissance type, type <laughs> thing. And, um, I, uh, I did not. I did not apply myself. I don't think it was. Uh, um, you know, I, I'd never really. I, I had told myself growing up that I was going to get into the conservation field because I liked the outdoors and natural resources, and I was going to do that. Um, and I never reassessed that over my life. I just thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. And so driving into this, and I started, my, my birthday's late in the year, so I started college when I was 17, and um, not ready for this, not prepared for it, and not in the mental lifestyle, not at all right. prepared for it. I wasted time, wasted money, and wound up obviously um, withdrawing. But I got a job at a radio station, and it was this little radio station in Grayling, 3000 Watt FM. They kind of played, you know, they played everything from, you know, some rock, a little bit of, you know, adult contemporary type stuff. And I got hired. One of the reasons why I was hired was because I could, I could read well and I could write well. Um, and I was 18. Um, Not because you weren't hired because of your voice, because wow, you know, I mean, I, you know, perfect it's, it's, for it's, radio. It's, yeah, the perfect radio voice. You know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Is if I don't, I don't know if I have any more air checks from me in my first year. But I thought I listened back, and I was just like, I, I, I sounded, I thought it sounded terrible because <laughs> it's like anything. It's like you know, you do it more and you develop it. I think, and That's right. um, and so for me, it was like, and I, I, I was. I was so, I, I was in love with it. I just thought this was the coolest thing. But what I really enjoyed was sitting in this little production studio and creating my own radio commercials because I had so much fun. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just, I never, you know, when you listen to the radio or, or television, the commercials that, that get your attention aren't the ones that are, you know, that you hear that are like, you know, boy, there's amazing new vacuum tonight before, you know, midnight. You know? Right. Those aren't the ones that, tend to really have an impact. The ones that tend to have an impact are the ones that make you stop and listen. And the creative, funny. Yeah, kinda. the funny ones. And that, <laughs> that tell the, a good story, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I did. I, mm -hmm. I was telling stories in 60 seconds or even 30 seconds and sometimes 10 or 15 seconds, which is a real challenge. And I would do that. And I remember being there. Bob Greenwood was my boss. And I was working part-time. And he would come in. And he would do a double take when he saw me because, and he would look at me and he would look at his watch and he'd look and he'd be like, hey, you're, you're not even supposed to be working today. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, but I'm just doing some stuff in the production studio and I'm not, you know, I'm not paying. He's like, well, I, you know, I can't pay you for this. And I'm like, oh, I know, that's, that's fine. I'm just, you know, whatever. Um, because well, I, you're paying me because I'm using the stuff. Exactly. Right? <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I thought this is this is working in my favor because I'm having fun. I'm practicing <laughs> this stuff and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And... Um, and as a result of that, when it when there, a full time position opened up, you know, 
I was the first person, you know, considered, and it was like, mm -hmm. do you want to work full time? And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think I got like a nickel raise, I think, and for my, for that. And I didn't care. I mean, for me, it wasn't about how much money I was going to earn. I never, I never looked at it and said, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna really just get rich doing this. I just had so much fun doing it. But another thing I did realize too early on was that, that's how you know commercials is. I mean, that's what pays the bills at the radio station. Right. And, and you have to have, if you have good commercials that work, you know, people are listening to, people are paying attention to, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a job for life because businesses need that. And not everybody has the time nor the, the, nor the creativity. Um, nor do they want to. You know, I'm in this business, I'm selling lawnmowers, I don't want to write the commercials. I need a good commercial that's going to help get people in here and get my commercial, you know, my lawnmowers noticed, but I don't know how to do that. And that's where, for me, I thought, this is where I can help because I can create these funny commercials. And I know they worked because early on at my first radio station, I would hear back from people at the radio, from uh, like the salespeople, the, the advertising salespeople, mm -hmm. that their client, their business, was were getting people coming in mentioning the radio commercial. Oh, your commercial's so funny. I love that commercial about the husband and wife on the way to the hospital or something. You know, things like uh -huh. that. And, um, and I thought, this, you know, this is great. This is working. And then I started realizing, you know, there's, actual, there's actually companies out there that are doing this specifically and they're, they're they're making money doing it mm -hmm. and I thought that's the guy I want to be I want to be doing commercials I want to be telling these these stories and and um, and it took a couple of years but that's really what I focused on even though I love being on the radio and the other aspects I mean you know I'm an 18 years old I'm getting backstage passes to ACDC and right. Def Leppard and all these <laughs> other concerts and you know that was a great that was a lot of fun um, the perks yeah the, the perks yeah <laughs> But I always, my, in, uh, everything that I did revolved around the commercial aspect. And I, I worked at WJGS for a time uh, in Houghton Lake, which is a big powerhouse, top 40. And while I worked there, I would do my evening shift from 6 until 10, and I would drive two hours to Bay City. And I would do the overnight shift at WHNN a couple nights a week. And, um, and then I took a job at KHQ in Charlevoix. Um, yeah, and that I grew up with yeah, that. Yeah, and that, that changed my... Well, I did something that I, I really wanted to go there because I'd had my taste of the city and decided I didn't want to do it. I love northern Michigan. I love the woods. I did not want to go to a larger market to earn more money, even though that's what I'd been told. That's what you have to do. And, right. And it looked appealing in that aspect, but I thought, you know what? That's not... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'll do this up here, and if I don't earn you know, that much money, that's okay. Um, but I need a place to really, I need a, I need a platform, I need a, a place to do this. And KHQ is this huge powerhouse radio station, number one all across every demographic. And uh, Tim Moore was the guy who put the station on the air and just turned it into this gigantic juggernaut flagship. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to these guys on the radio and I would steal their bits. You know, Chet <laughs> Jessic was a guy It was on, on the radio I in the afternoon. I remember that name. Yeah, Chet. Mm -hmm. Chet was, he was, a, he was, he was, in a, I don't know, he's not still, I don't think he's on the radio anymore. He's a professor in college. But he had this incredible ability to connect with listeners. And he would, you know, he had a, 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 his, his shift in the afternoon or middays, he would kind of swing around. Um, and he would just talk to people. And if you listen to him, it would be like me and you just having a conversation, just like mm -hmm. we are now. It's not mm -hmm. this guy talking on the radio. We've got the weather coming up in 10 minutes. And right after that, that's not what it was. 
and he just sounded so natural and like this guy's sitting in your living room with you. He's your best friend. You're having a cup of coffee. <laughs> you might be talking about world events. You might be talking about you know a concert coming up, maybe your favorite performer and their new CD or you know something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so he would say things like that. I'd write them down and I'd use them on my show. You know, at a different <laughs> radio station, at a competing radio station. Um, well, with with I wanted and I wanted to work there so bad because I thought I could learn from these guys. Um, so I wrote Tim Moore a letter. And I said, you know, I want to work for your station. I will work for free, and I don't care what I do. Wow! I will, I will, you know, I will come in. I said, if you hire me, I will be there your, the hours that you need, and I can get a job. I've done work at convenience stores before. I can, I'll get a job. Don't worry about that. Um, and you know, long. Well, it wasn't even a real long story. He called me, said, uh, I've got to come back up. I'm coming up that way. Why don't we get together for dinner? And he offered me a job on the spot. And well, paid. I got paid. Yes. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and it was it was not it, it was not an enormous amount of money, but it was very substantial mm -hmm. for you know what what I've been currently making. And um, and I started working there. And uh, I told him about my dreams, you know, with, with these radio commercials and such, and he encouraged it. And uh, I, I had and, and it immediately it, that kind of took off. I started getting the, the same things that were happening. I was getting good feedback from the from the clients that were going to the salespeople, and they were coming back to me. And so I was hearing good things. I was fortunate enough to win some local awards for that and wow. for writing and creating stuff. And mm -hmm. and I told Tim, I said I would really like to do this for other you know, other clients, other businesses, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I have to use the station's equipment. And Tim, in his wisdom, really looked at this and, and, and said, you know, you can do that. Use it after hours when nobody else is using the production studio, full rain, do whatever. Um, but continue, you, you know, you, when, you, when you come up with these great ideas, you know, use them for our clients as well. So, you know, so I can't charge these people in our local market because that's what they're paying for. But I can, if I come up with an idea for a client in St. Louis, Missouri, I'll use that same idea for somebody at, you know, at KHQ. Right, right. And, uh, and I did that. And I know, and it's in, in a roundabout way, but the, the important part about this is, is because the, the, uh, what I did revolved completely and totally around stories. You know, I had stories about Martians going in to open up a checking account. I did stories <laughs> about, um, you know, I mentioned a husband and wife on their way to the hospital. The, you know, they're on the, she's about ready to have a baby. The contractions are, you know, minutes apart. She's obviously in a state of panic, and he's driving fast. You can hear the car, and all of a sudden he hears, sees this big sign about, you know, a sale going on at the appliance store, and you know, and he stops. And I mean, and it was, it was something that that it's very radio is a visual medium mm -hmm. and people think it's audio and it's not it's mm -hmm. it's very visual so when you create your stories you can't sit there and tell your listener that this person is wearing blue jeans with a white t-shirt and sneakers that are green or whatever you just have to let the the the, the listener create that picture in their head mm -hmm. and and that's pretty much the way the brain works. If I say, you know, pink elephant, you all of, uh, with the, get a pink elephant in your head. Your mm -hmm. pink elephant is different from my pink elephant. Right. But you've got to. But got if you talk about a husband and wife driving in a car, we can all picture that. You exactly. You can picture that, and you're connecting with people who, in the most in most instances, are going to need that product 
or service at some particular time. I mean, name me one married couple that does not have an appliance in their house. Right. You know, whether it's a, um, a refrigerator, a washer and dryer, or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what this whole, that's where everything, everything that I did revolved around creating stories. And that taught me so much about um, brevity because I would do these commercials and I would do them with actors or actresses, friends uh, that would work with me. And, and me. Uh, yeah, and the commercials made, <laughs> it might have been <laughs> 65 seconds long. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to, it, it's got to be, you know, you got to fix that. It's mm -hmm. got to be, you know, edited and, and you've got to edit words. You've got to, you know, maybe change a sentence or whatever and do it over and you do it over and it's got to be, you know, 59.5 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that really taught me not only writing, um, but the whole editing process as well. Um, and I think when I started writing books in the Michigan Chillers and the American Chillers, um, that really helped out a lot because it was, you know, something that, you know, you've got to get those points across very, very quickly. Right. So. For, and so the Chillers, they target maybe, they're for the middle grade reader, would you say, or younger? I would even? say, you know, it's funny because I, I, we have kids that come in that are probably in, you know, anywhere from first grade to second grade on up to sixth or seventh grade, so. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, can you pause? Yep. So I, I know now Michigan chillers and American chillers are kind of your, where you're at, where mm -hmm. you're spending most of your creative time. But when I met you, that was through recording the, the commercials. Yeah. And during that time, you had this inspiration for an adult novel. Yeah. And, a, and apparently, I mean, I don't remember how many years it took you to write it. And, and it was quite epic yeah and so could you tell us a little bit about how you kind of transitioned because you're not doing radio anymore yeah. correct yeah i i do the, the, or do you the, dabble yeah I, I do you know what i do i do dabble a little bit i just couldn't stay away from it but what i do is i've got a few friends and agencies that from time to time will you know request you know i'll do something and it's fun to do these you know projects mostly in the summertime um, I rebuilt, I've got kind of a secret studio that I built, soundproof studio in oh, nice. one of our warehouses so I can kind of go in there and, um, yeah, it's cool because people can be, you know, there are other people in the warehouse and, I mean, they know obviously that it's, that it's there, but it's, right. a, it's this, you know, the recording studio in the middle they of They can be working so, yeah. while you're recording. And I'm in there recording. That's yeah. so nice. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll do, uh, and I love doing, I've done some audio books and audio stories. Um, awesome. Yeah. Which is, which is fun. So I don't do... You know too much of the of the the radio that much. I I, I left the airwaves in 1995 um, to really focus on commercials. And right. you know at the time it was it was great. I was living in this little cabin in the middle of the woods. I and, remember it. And yeah. you had your sound studio. And my in little there. sound studio. Yeah. I just it was yeah. a two bedroom cabin that I bought. I took one of the bedrooms. I turned it into my little sound studio. And I did mm -hmm. all my commercials. And I would drive them over to the airport because I always miss the Federal Express deadline. And now this is at a time too, one of the things too is that back at, you know, in order for me to 
get a commercial on the air in Los Angeles or Miami or anywhere else in the country, you couldn't just turn it into an MP3 and zip it across the country on a, on right. a, on a you know, like that. It wasn't. It did not, did not work that way. Mm -hmm. um, I had to record everything on a five-inch reel tape, quarter-inch tape, and mm -hmm. then I'd have to put it in a, a little box, five-by-five five box, put it in a FedEx thing, and then you know, usually I, I, I was always late, and, and uh, so I always had to drive the, uh, well, see, it was probably 20 miles to the airport, right to the FedEx station that was there. I would call, I knew the, the pilot that flew from Grand, to Grand Rapids, and I would call him, and I would say, hey, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be late, do not leave, and the plane would be out there, ready to go, and he's like, knowing that I'm going to show right. up. And so, um, but I would get <coughs> ideas for stories. Because I've always been a voracious reader, and I, um, I've, I, I love to read, and I that never left me through school. Um, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I know that a lot of kids, you know, you get the age in the teenager years and such, and not, you know, you get busy soccer, basketball, boys, mm -hmm. girls, whatever, and mm -hmm. um, you know, I had all that stuff going on. I was into fly fishing and fly tying, but but I've all I was always reading books, and that I stuck with me, and I would read book after book after book after book, and. I would get these ideas for stories and think, wow, you know, somebody should do a story about that. Or, boy, I bet that'd be a good idea for a story. Finally, one day, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to try this. And the, this is this would be kind of a cool story. Right. And, um, and you wrote your first book as... Did, it, did you write it as Christopher Knight? Well, I, you know, I... What I did is I started a book called The Laurentian Channel in, in 1995 when I left the airwaves. Okay. I, I started writing this book. And um, I initially wasn't really sure what name I would use. I see, I was, my legal name is Chris Wright. I changed it to Knight because when I went to work at KHQ, there was a guy on a competing radio station, and his air name was Wright Wilson, W-R-I-G-H-T. Oh. was his first name, and his last name was Wilson. And, and Tim thought, you know, as a professional courtesy, you know, this is really similar to his name. Um, you know, could you, would you change your name? And do people in radio and TV do that all the time, you know, change yeah. their names and such. So I, sure. I said, yeah, I'll just change it to, you know, Christopher Knight. And he's like, perfect, go, let's go with that. So, so I went with that, which is, which is Knight and Wright, obviously, are very, very similar. Anyway. Sure. Um, but when I started writing my first book, it was uh, uh, just kind of this mystery shipwreck dive novel takes place in northern Michigan in the Straits of Mackinac. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. I just, I mean, I just thought... You just I, wanted to tell the story. I wanted to tell the story mm -hmm. and I'll make it up as I go along. And I had an idea in my head of how mm -hmm. I wanted to end up and I had particular scenes. I thought, this will be a really dramatic scene and how am I going to work up to this point? And um, so, and it took me a while, but I... Um, I got a phone call. I got a couple of publishers that w uh, had, you know, uh, sent me re rejection letters. But I did get one in Michigan, and they were really excited about it. And I was like, "Wow, this is really cool!" I came back. I'd been—I can't remember where I was at the time, but um, there's this message on my machine from their editor in chief saying, "You know, I really like these chapters. This would be something we would definitely like." So while I was waiting for this um, and, and watching this whole thing take you know it's it's life which wasn't much of a life in the publishing world <laughs> um, I started getting different ideas and I thought well I would love to do an audio book and I started pitching mm -hmm. audio books to, to publishing companies your audio your first audio book 
the haunted the lighthouse, Saint Helena. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was that was that was a project. Well, see, I I started I start when I started pitching that to publishers. Um, um, I, I was you know most of them said well. We're not interested because it's an audio book. Um, or, and a, a couple publishers said, you know, it's just going to be too expensive. And I said, well, wait, you know, okay, I'm, I can narrate it. I'll write it. I can voice it. I've got my own studio. You don't have to pay for studio time. Um, I'll produce I've it. paid for the rights. Yeah, <laughs> I've paid for the rights to this music, sound effects. I can produce it. I can do everything. I can, can give you a complete package. I can have the whole thing done. Whether or not they just looked at this, you know, probably thought, you know, okay, here's this long-haired guy, you know, <laughs> dressed in flannel in a cabin in northern Michigan with a white German shepherd telling me he can do everything. Sure. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed myself either. You know? So, but I, I, I thought, okay, well... And at this time, too, I was getting more and more frustrated watching what was everything that was going on in the publishing world because I was, I thought, okay, this is, you know, at least if it's not going to be my job in the future, it's going to be something that I'm going to be immersed in mm -hmm. to an extent. I want to know more about it. Yeah, and that train kind of moves slowly. It in does. Other words. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, uh, and as the train moved, so to speak, I was <laughs> less and less impressed with the scenery mm -hmm. and everything that you know and then I started getting into the motor and the engine and started looking around the cars and I'm like you know and I I don't mean this in an unkind way and I certainly won't put everybody in the publishing industry in the same um, category but I just kept looking around and I kept thinking you know you guys are a bunch of buffoons you know the way you run the, you're running this this publishing industry like a dinosaur business and um, particularly in the marketing sense, you know, mm -hmm. and I would see all this, and you know, and I again, I don't want to come across, and I, I as as someone who knows what they're doing, or in an arrogant sense, because even at that time, I thought, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but what I'm doing must be better, I think, than what they're doing. Right. And if it's not, I'll, I guess I'll find out. And um, so uh, what I did with St. Helene is I, I did, I, I, I wrote it, I produced it, narrated it, put the whole thing together. I made copies. I bought a duplicating machine, made all my copies. The artwork was from a photograph I took on St. Helene Island, gave it to my friend <laughs> Chuck Beard, who uh, was at Straits Area Printing, and he's now passed on. Um, he put together a cover for me. Um, and it was this little Abner project that I put together, shrink wrapped it, made my mm -hmm. own cassette labels, and it was attractive. So uh, you know, I thought it was. Mm -hmm. You know, it was pretty. You know, for for um, even even looking back and going, and even now and thinking, okay, it was kind of amateurish. The product itself looked pretty professional. It did. You know, it really yeah. did. Um, and uh, and and I I would take this around and. Uh, you take it to bookstores and, um, you know, most bookstores, local bookstores, you know, I, they, sure. they would give it a try for mm -hmm. sure. And, and they would put it on their shelves. And I would, I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, the, um, the problem that I had, too, is, I mean, I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. I went into one bookstore and they said, well, where's your, you know, your ISBN number? And I was like, I didn't even know what one was. What? I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea. I, you know, that what I, an ISBN number, I didn't know what this thing Right. Was. Right. Um, I, and I thought, man, I've got to get, but, I, you know, okay, I'll get that, and then what? And I thought, well, I've got to get this product out there. How are people going to hear it? And it occurred to me, living in northern Michigan, I mean, we get this gigantic influx of tourism in the summertime. 
you know, and it brings people from all around the world, particularly around the Midwest. And people come here, um, they don't come here to go to bookstores necessarily. Um, but they have to Unless eat. Unless you're the Falk family. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we would love to. Yeah. Well, there's, a, well, there's always yeah. the particular people like myself. <laughs> if I came to a, a new community and found out there was a bookstore, I'd be, be there. I would be there for sure. Um, but for the most part, that's not what your vacation is going to revolve right. around. Right. But your right. vacation does require you eating, sleeping, and putting gas in your car. Right. So I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to hit. Gas, gas stations, stations, restaurants, <laughs> and hotels. Because I figured, okay, these people have to eat, they have to sleep, they have to have, you know, make their vehicle move. And so I would go into these these stores and I wouldn't take no for an answer. And it's you know, I would you know, I'd get managers that would say, Well, you know, um, we don't have any money for that. And I'd say, Fine, I'll just leave you these and uh, uh, if you sell them, I get this much, you get this much. And yeah. uh, that worked perfect because it got me out of their face, you know, and that right. got rid of another like, salesperson. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or some would say, you know, well, we don't, you know, we don't sell books here. I'm like, exactly. That's why I want this here. I don't have any competition. I want It's local, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I signed it. It's signed by the author. It's a win-win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, and I, but I think the big thing, too, was, was that the, the fact that, I believed in my product enough just saying, hey, you know, just put it here on the counter. And if it doesn't work, I'll come back in a couple of weeks. And if you don't sell any, uh, I'm going to give you one for your time. Thank you very much. I'll take this off your table and you'll never bother you again. Um, well, within, like, well, I said within, but within a, two weeks, I started getting phone calls. You know, hey, those audiobooks, uh, they're gone. You know, we need some more of those wow. up here. And so my wife and I, you know, would put them in the back of the Jeep and, you know, make this little trek around northern Michigan. And, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, uh, I gave one to a friend of ours by the name of Mike Ridley. And he was my, he's kind of a performer and musician. He goes all around the, um, at the time, or all around the Midwest. And he, he called me one day and he said, I got back from Detroit. He said, I had to sit in my driveway for a half an hour and listen to, to listen. the end yes. of this. Because I couldn't, I couldn't stop listening. And he said, can I give it to a friend of mine who works at a radio station downstate? And I said, oh, absolutely. Well, I got a call from, at the time, um, it was WJR in Detroit. And it mm -hmm. was, so there's obviously a powerhouse station that's still there and been there for years. Um, the guy that has show, his name was Ken Calvert. And he did all the, the announcements for the Detroit Pistons years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and he had a show. And he had listened to it and loved it. And his producer called and said, Ken would like to interview you. Would you like to do this? And I'm like, well... Um, let me think about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so he said, you can do it, you know, where you are. We'll do it over the phone. And I'm like, this is cool. Perfect. So here I am doing this interview on the radio with Ken Calvert. And my wife is in the kitchen. And I'm at home in this little village of Toppenaby, Michigan. And Ken does a great interview for five minutes. Now think about this. Five minutes on Detroit radio oh with millions of people listening to this. So... And, and he gets to the, to the final question. He said, he said, well, you know, I got to go, but tell our listeners really quick where they can get this great audio book. And I, you know, it was just like that deer in the headlights look. And, you know, and I looked at my wife and I started, I'm going, well, yeah, you can get them at uh, Barnes and Noble and, you know, B. Dalton and, you know, Walden Books. They're gone now, but they were in. The, and, right. and my wife is looking at me and she's, she's she like, mouths. What she are you doing? Those are the words she mouths. She didn't have to speak them. She's like, what are you saying? <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, I, I kind of did this shrug thing. I'm like, well, like, what am I supposed to? I can't tell you these. You can get them at any gas station exactly. in northern Michigan. I couldn't say like, go to Joe's Mobile at the corner of Maine and Maple, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but here, but within a half an hour, my home phone rang, which we were also using as kind of a business phone. Within a half an hour, my home phone rang, and it was the Borders um, um, business in Ann Arbor, and they yes. needed a case of these audio books. And wow. that's how it started. And our case was only like 50 copies at the time, so it wasn't a huge deal but that's but still they called you i think that's kind of every author's dream yeah is to be sought after exactly for their writing yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) so that's awesome yeah yeah and that's how that whole thing got started with that and then over the course of the summer um you know it was really pretty good i mean the sales were really good and i would talk to bookstores at the end of the summer and they said well you know we probably you know we did we sold you know x number of these audiobooks but if you'd have had a novel, I think we would have sold even more because people, we had a lot of people ask about, you right. know, is there the novel, the paperback, or the hardcover, and right. it wasn't. So I, I made a novelization of that and published mm-hmm. it the following summer along with a book called Ferocity, which was, and I self-published it too. So, yes. it was, you know, so, there were, so I had two novels out in the summer of 1999. One was called St. Helene, and then the other one was, was Ferocity. And, uh, and they became bestsellers. Locally, it was kind of cool to see these little papers that of you know. I mean, is uh, awesome. You know, like be you know, there would be you know one of my books, and then right beneath it was Stephen King or something, and it was obviously <laughs> you know. I mean, we're talking Northern Michigan, and and well, sure. but it was really really cool to see the local papers have report these as like their little you know local right. bestsellers, which was kind of cool. So did those books have ISBNs? You figured they all did. that out? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, I got okay. that. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. good. Yep, those, so those did have ISBNs and I started figuring out things uh, along the way. But And that's when you started independently publishing all of your yeah, work. Yeah, I had done that and I, I by that time I'd become a little frustrated with the whole publishing industry in general and thought, okay, I am going to do this and uh, I got the rights back for the Laurentian channel. Because, oh, good. Yeah, what happened with that was is they, I think at the time they had wound up with more than they could chew they had more and and mine was in danger of missing the deadline of publication okay um which is you know that happens but it's not a good thing you know for publishers because then there begin there there can be some animosity between agents and authors and frustrations and Mm -hmm. such and and i didn't make a big deal of it at all i just said you know can i have the rights back and you know i'd like to publish this myself and they were like oh okay and there they signed go. off on it, and, and I and I, I got it. Um, in the in the course of writing a book called Ferocity, which is like this B science fiction book about a giant fish that lives in Mullet Lake and eats people, <laughs> um, I I came up with this idea. I, the the fictitious town that I wrote about in there was called Corville. Um, and I wanted to, to kind of come up with a metaphor for Corville. If you took all of the clean air and the fresh water and everything beautiful of northern Michigan and you put it into a bottle and you sold it as a beverage, what would you call it? Well, in my book, I called it a Corville cooler. But in um, what, one of the th- things I'd come up with, I came up with this list of these beverages, and one of those was a Michigan chiller. And I kept uh. thinking about this more and more, and I thought, well, that sounds like a, I mean, it sounds like a, like a kid's book, like a series, and then I could make scary books about different towns and cities because, you know, that would be kind of cool. And I'll start with northern Michigan and see how it goes, and uh, and I'll put the first few chapters of the next book and lead each book into the next book, and and I'll use my little network that I've got at gas stations and restaurants and hotels, and I'll put those in there, and I'll do signed copies, and we'll see how that goes. And... Um, it worked like clockwork. Now I gave away 
over 300 books. I sent these out to bookstores. Mayhem on Mackinac Island was wow. the first book. And I called these bookstores and less than 10% ever said they, that they'd even seen them. And then even less than that, I, I think maybe one or two bookstores said, yeah, we'll, we'll take a couple, but for the most part, no. Local bookstores in Northern Michigan, yeah, they did. They looked sure. at it and went, oh, Mackinac Island, yeah, that'll well, probably yeah, sell. Well, yeah, of course, we'll do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was really cool. I was able to get the, you know, to get the support of the local bookstores. But uh, by and large, mostly around the state, no, um, people were not that interested. But here's what happened. Kids bought the books, or parents bought the books for their kids, Mackinac, Mayhem on Mackinac Island, ter right. Terror Stocks, Traverse City. <laughs> they came up from Farmington Hills, Chicago, wherever. You know, now all of a sudden their 10-year-old son is reading and wants More. the next book. Yeah, right. So they drag him into the Barnes & Noble. My son wants this next book. So all of a sudden now the Barnes & Nobles are contacting the distributor who now contacts me and... They send us, I'll never forget, we had a fax machine. Fax goes off, and the first, the first day we get this, the fax goes off, and it's um, for our, um, from our distributor. Yeah. And, oh. um, and it's our, from our distributor, and it's for, like, a case of books. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible, a case of, you know, a case of books. Right. And then, of course, we know within two years later, it's pallets, you know, we're shipping on wow. trucks and, and wow. such. But um, Who's your distributor? So I ended on a cliffhanger. Things are just picking up in Jonathan Rand's career as a writer. And um, find out next time where all of that leads. Just come back to Storyteller Station next Monday and you'll hear the conclusion of this wonderful interview. It was so much fun to be with him again and just to really get to hear more details about his journey and get to know him a little bit better. So I hope you're enjoying it and I hope that you'll tune in next time on Storyteller Station. In the meantime, friends, if you are enjoying this podcast, please go to iTunes and leave us an honest review. Love to hear from you. You can leave a message anywhere you listen to podcasts and ask your questions or make your suggestions. I'd be so happy to hear from you. And otherwise, you can reach me at sarahfenlandfalk.com or join The Nation, the Facebook page, the Facebook group, Storyteller Nation, where we are just sharing stories. Well, mostly I am, but hopefully if you have a lot to say, go over there and join the nation and tell us everything you have to say. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. Okay, friends, until next time, I just hope that you're enjoying lovely weather and happy days. And until we meet again, create something great.